0: From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Namdi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. It's Tech Tuesday. In movies and in TV shows for decades, we've seen computers that know what the characters are trying to say. In the last few years, however, we've begun to see speech technology make its way into our daily lives. Siri on the iPhone and Cortana on Windows products allow users to search the web for or open apps with their voices. But unlike Captain Kirk or Marty McFly, it's not always so easy for us to get our devices to understand what we're saying. This is crucial because speech recognition is about more than just taking meeting notes or talking to your car. Doctors across the country have started to rely on these technologies, so researchers are working hard to make them as accurate as possible. But will they ever be perfect? Joining us to talk about speech recognition is Judith, Judith Clavins. She is recently retired from the Federal Office of the Director of National Intelligence and a researcher in speech and language technology, Judith Clevins joins us in studio. Welcome. Good to see you.
1: Thank you, Kojo.
0: Joining us by phone from San Francisco is Jerome Pacenti, Vice President of Core Technologies at the IBM Watson Group. Jerome, thank you for joining us. Hey, good afternoon. And joining us by phone from Burlington, Massachusetts, is Ken Harper, Senior Director of Services for Nuance Communications, that's a speech recognition software company. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thanks for
2: having me, Kojo.
0: Judith, I'll start with you. Speech recognition, like so many other technologies, has advanced in leaps and bounds. How far has this technology come, especially in the last few years?
1: Well, you talked about leaps and bounds, and you talked about the last few years, but I think it's really important to look back at the early days of research in speech technology. Most of the research started in the 50s and 60s as we started to begin to work more effectively with large compute, which what was then large compute uh, capabilities. And things have really escalated, particularly over the last three to five years, as you note. So more computers, more compute power, not more computers, more compute power, and an extraordinary advance in the development of deep technologies, machine learning, deep neural nets, and other methods which have enabled us to really move forwards in the area of not only of speech recognition, but of understanding, answering questions, really being able to sift through large amounts of data and come up with coherent answers. That's been exponential in the last three to five years.
0: So over a course of four to five decades, we were moving ahead in a way quantitatively and then took a qualitative leap over the course of the last five years or so?
1: In my opinion, what's happened is that many different fields, the advances in many different fields have come together. So I was working in cognitive science areas as well as in technology, which was unusual in the 80s. And then what happened is that people, for example, working in question answering, um, if you ask a question, you need to know the intent of the person asking that question. So you not only need to know what are the words saying, like where is the tank? You need to know whether the intent of the person is in a pet store if they're looking for a fish tank, or whether they're in a war and they're looking for a certain type of tank. You need to know the context, you need to know their intent, and you need to know much more than just the words. And so people have in different fields have been coming together, the engineers working on the words, this converting of the sound into words, and then people working in um, cognitive science and human factors and other areas, psychology, have come together now, and thats it's really the confluence of many different research areas that are now coming together.
0: If you have questions or comments for us, give us a call at 800-433-8850. Do you see yourself using more voice command technology in the future? Have you had frustrating experiences with Siri? 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo.wamu.org. You can shoot us a tweet at KojoShow using the hashtag TechTuesday or go to our website, kojoshow.org. Join the conversation there. Jerome Pesenti, if one speaks clearly and uses a specific set of commands, today's voice command software will have an easier time understanding what one means than if someone speaks like you and I would normally do. What makes natural language processing so difficult?
3: Well, there are different aspects, right? Uh, One is you're talking with speech here, the voice, right? Uh, And you're listening to me right now. I have an accent, right? So when I talk and I say certain words, they sound quite different than when you're saying them, right? So the one problem is that speech and language usually is ambiguous. Right. And there's not just one way to say words. There's not one meaningful word. words. There's the ambiguity that really makes the problem really difficult.
0: People tell me I have an accent too, but I just don't believe them. <laughs> Judith, when I'm talking to Siri or on an iPhone, how can I choose my words to make it more likely to understand what I mean?
1: Well, this is a problem. Siri... Siri like other speech recognition systems trains over time so the more you use it the better it will get in understanding you but since all of recognitions all of the recognition systems that are around have to be trained on whatever is the average and no one is an average then there's really nothing you can do but keep just keep being patient we all have anecdotes of silly things that Siri and other voice recognition systems have come up with, and every time that you backspace and correct it, it learns from you. And that's the only way is just patience, kind of like a child. Keep going. <laughs> How
0: important is predictability to the way speech recognition works?
1: Uh, that's a fundamental question. Um, all all of our models are trained on uh, speech that's been heard before, And this is certainly a recognition, probabilistic theory has been, probabilistic methods have been applied to speech uh, and voice speech recognition problems for years. So if I predict that you are going to say something, it's because most people say that all the time. The first application was uh, in business letter writing. So how common is, I regret to inform you, or I'm pleased to announce? All you need is practically the first two words, and you can get the rest of the sentence. That's the way this technology works. And if you are going to surprise the system by saying, I regret to inform you that you've won a million (laughs) dollars, then the system won't know what to do with you.
0: Um, Any of you, but I'll start with you on this one, Ken Harper. We've established that computers can generally understand what we're saying, are they able to infer anything about our emotions based on how we're saying words
2: yeah this this is one of the newest areas in in the industry around sentiment extraction and looking at various characteristics in the speech and trying to detect stress upon a user or frustration upon a user and, and trying to use that that information to adapt the experience in some way You, you could imagine in a, a call center type of application. If, if someone is calling in and they're really upset about something, they're frustrated about something, you know, having this uh, ability to extract emotion in addition to understanding what the words mean and what the intent is that the user is looking to, to go about completing, that emotion can be used to automatically change the experience, maybe get you to an agent a little bit faster if we know someone is really upset. So this, this is something I think we're going to see a lot more of in a lot of different applications in the future.
0: So that if I am calling in and I am upset about something and I speak in my trained, professional, professional, moderate tones, I may not get the urgency that someone who calls and simply yells gets.
2: Yeah, well, I think, I think there are a lot of, of fine tonal characteristics and, and vocal characteristics you know, that can be modeled still where you can still try to determine, even if someone might not be yelling, the, the way in which they're speaking the words, how they're using uh, various uh, stress patterns, intonation, there are a lot of, of finer grain abilities the technology has to extract what, what your true emotional state might be, even if you're not screaming or swearing or cursing at the system.
0: We've talked last year on this show about how computers have a difficult time figuring out sarcasm in written words. Does this also apply to speech recognition, Jerome Passanti?
3: I mean, as i was expressed, I mean, the the computer today is able to recognize some form of emotion. Uh, So Watson just came out with a new service that can analyze for your tone, the tone of your expression through the words. And we're starting to look at just the words you're saying, the way you're saying, the audio signal, and also looking at you uh, speaking. Now, you know, this is the first foray in that field, right? So we're trying to recognize, I would say, a small set of emotion at the moment. Uh, you know, around a dozen, and we are we're going to expand this emotion, right? Sarcasm. I don't know if you saw the ad. Actually, Watson came with an ad, and basically, Watson admits that it doesn't really know sarcasm at the moment, but it learned, it's learning it. This is a pretty accurate thing. I don't believe we can recognize it today, uh, but we're working on it.
0: On to the telephones. Here is Rebecca in Washington D.C. <laughs> Rebecca, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Great. Thanks for having me. Um, I kind of would like to pivot a little bit on this subject to talk about. Um, users of this type of software that are at the extreme, so those with learning disabilities and those who are visually impaired. I find that the Internet is very inaccessible for them in terms of reading back to them the content that's available on websites, but also allowing them to um, have books um, and PDF documents and research documents read to them. And I was wondering... Um, if you guys had any insight into new tools or systems that might help these people um, better, you know, understand the world and learn, Ken Harper. Yeah, that's
2: that's a great great question. I think what's what's exciting about what we can do for the accessibility market is all the technology today is there. We have text to speech. Which can do a, a great job of taking any piece of freeform text that could be on a web page or within an application on a mobile phone, and automatically synthesize audio and synthesize the audio output so someone knows what they're looking at, even if they're not able to see it. Uh, they can actually hear those those words being read back to them. Where I think the industry needs to go a little bit, though, to address full accessibility is is finding more uh, partners and application developers out there that can take this technology that's been advanced quite considerably over the last few years and work on applications that are specifically target, targeted for accessibility purposes. And I think that historically has been a bit of the, the missing piece.
0: Judith English, and thank you very much for your call, Rebecca. Judith, English is a language spoken differently by lots of different people who say words in a number of different ways. Jerome brought this up earlier. How does voice recognition grapple with the issue of accents?
1: Not very well. (laughs) Not very well. If you're trained on a particular accent, then you can adapt to it. You might know that there are settings inside your system that you can pick for British English or, um, I don't know, if um, uh, there's Jamaican English. I have no idea. Um, I doubt it. But um, there are settings, and also a system will train to your, um, you know, it'll adapt to you, as I said before, over time. But you really also touch on another issue, and that is multilingual speech recognition mm-hmm. and generation mm-hmm. so um, the when the caller asked about technologies for for uh differently abled people and talking about text to speech, that's one part of the problem. voice recognition and speech recognition for different languages is another part of what's going on in the world. And it's really revolutionizing how we're able we're able to enter into a global uh, dialogue with other people.
0: Because all languages have nuance, don't they? I mean, people Absolutely. who speak Spanish, people who speak French, depending on where they come from, they speak it with different accents.
1: They have different accents and absolute different nuance. So for example, my English of Washington DC or New York is very different than the English from Michigan. Uh, the vowels are completely different and my sense of humor will be different so for example going back to the issue of of trying to discern what is the mood of someone if there's a caller system if i come from michigan my tone is going to tend to be more flat and less emotional than if i'm from new york city and i think you can imagine what that might sound like
0: <laughs> can your company speaking of nuance is called nuance communications it offers services in over 40 different languages what are the challenges of making this software work across different types of languages?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to being able to get enough data that's really representative of a specific population or a specific task domain that you're looking to support. Our approach has always been to take a data-driven Data collection approach for getting uh, enough representations of how people are speaking, both the, the acoustic aspects of speech as well as the language aspects of speech, such that we can train models and, and start to automatically infer what someone's looking to do, even if someone that's talking to the system and how they're talking and, and words they're using may not necessarily be captured in the data itself that we used for for training and I think That really has been one of the the bigger advances in the technology of the last couple of years, taking statistical approaches, finding ways to reach inferences about what people are looking to do, even if that exact data and exact language patterns aren't necessarily in what you use to train the models.
0: On to Daniel in Reston, Virginia. Daniel, your turn.
4: Hi, Coach. Hi, guys. How are you all this afternoon? Doing well. Glad to hear it. Um, so I, 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 I'm a bit of a neophyte on this, but I'm kind of curious as to where um, the distinction lies between uh, Siri and Cortana and uh, a simulated intelligence versus um, a virtual in- intelligence, which is what I understand to be a bit more predictive and sort of what the, uh, the technological bridges need to be there rather than, say, Siri, which focuses predominantly on things like uh, speech recognition patterns, uh, geolocations, and then inputs that you put into your phone. Whereas, say, virtual intelligence might be able to, uh, you know, guess based on, you know, would it be, say, uh, you know, your Apple Watch or Google Glass or something like that and being able to take in uh, different environmental uh, factors to figure out what you're trying to do or what you're hoping to do next. And then from from there, how far until Skynet, I guess, is the follow-up
0: that. <laughs> Judith, care to respond?
1: That's a kind of a very broad question. It really is, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where to start with that. Quite the frankly, the relationship
0: between speech r- recognition and virtual intelligence.
1: Well, both of or difference the many the many systems that are out and about, and of course we're talking about Cortana and Siri are the mo- most well known, but there are others. Are all dealing with not only the narrow problem? It's not a narrow problem; it's a deep problem, of speech recognition, that is to say, recognizing the words. But what is your intent, what is your state of mind, and how can I intelligently provide an answer? So that's the whole push to Watson, and there's a lot of research going on at Google and other areas in virtual intelligence. So we really need to make a distinction between the speech recognition, which is the literal part of taking your audio sound and translating that into words, And then what that all means.
0: You've just taken that to our next question, which has to do with Watson, as a matter of fact. (laughs) But first, we've got to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation on Tech Tuesday on speech recognition technology. Encouraging your calls at 800-433-8850. Are you a keyboard court cutter? Do you rely on speech recognition in your everyday life? 800-433-8850. You can shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show or email to kojo at wamu.org. I'm Kojo Nandi.
1: This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black change makers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Hear the stories of these incredible scientists, activists, artists, and more throughout February on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at WAMU.org.
0: Welcome back. It's Dick. Tech- Tuesday, and if you're recognizing my speech on the radio, you may be interested in this conversation about speech recognition technology um, with Judith Clavins. She is recently retired from the Federal Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the researcher in speech and language technology. She joins us in studio, joining us from San Francisco is Jerome Pacenti, Vice President of Core Technologies at the IBM Watson Group, and joining us from Burlington, Massachusetts, is Ken Harper, Senior Director of Devices for Nuance Communications, a speech recognition software company. We're taking your calls at eight hundred four three three eight eight five zero. Jerome IBM's Watson is a computer system meant to th- think the way humans do. How does that thinking apply to speech recognition? Well,
3: we have, I mean, speech is one function, right, that, uh, that um, Watson is trying to emulate. We have actually have two services that, you know, try to do that. One is speech to text. So you feed the audio, and the system will feed you back text, right? And then you can understand that text, respond to it, analyze it. Or you can take some text, and generate speech, right? In the same way you saw maybe in the Jeopardy game where the computer was talking to the audience. So these are the two key pieces that allow basically interacting with Watson, which has a broader set of capabilities through, through voice and receiving the response through voice.
0: The speech-to-text portion of Watson claims to be able to not just work with high-quality audio, but also to be able to understand what's being said in meetings and what's being played on a radio. How is it able to parse out words from speech that isn't necessarily crystal clear?
3: Well, you know, the key to understand is even people, when they understand this kind of speech, right, make mistakes. So the system makes mistakes. And we just published a paper, actually, my team's published a paper that showed that in conversation like we're having right now over the phone, we could have an error rate uh, of 8%, right? People have an error rate around 5%. So we're still not quite... at human understanding there, but we're getting closer. And the key there is, right, we have this system now that can learn from huge amount of data. And these models we're creating today, there's no way we could have created them five years ago or even three years ago because they're feeding tremendous amount of speech data. And the system will learn the environment, the audio, the different speaker patterns, recognize one speaker versus the other. So we're trying to now getting speech in a bro- much broader context, much broader environment by feeding data it's much more noisy, if you want, and learning to extract out of the meaning out of the noise.
0: Judith, some speech recognition programs require the user to train the software on the peculiarities of his or her own voice. This usually leads to higher accuracy rates. So why then do other speech recognition programs choose not to begin with that step?
1: That comes back to the predictability question that you asked earlier. If you're talking about phone applications so broad you want to really speak to the most general type of speech. So most people are going to say, is there any traffic between here and work? Well, GPS systems will know where here is. It's got your location, and you program in where work is, or it knows you goes there most days, if that's the way you work. Um, so it's fairly easy, because most people ask those things. What's the weather? What are the hours of the museum downtown? Where's the closest deli? What's the best Thai restaurant near me? Those are the kinds of questions that people ask all the time so they're highly predictable. So in the models you've got high probabilities. If you want something that's a little less probable or you want higher accuracy then you really have to train. So if I am working on a system that will will be able to recognize easily I regret to inform you that you've won a million dollars, which is a very <laughs> low probability sentence. If I want to raise that probability, then I've got to train that system to recognize it. There is no other way. Repeat, repeat, repeat.
0: Can we think of speech recognition mostly in its use as personal assistant on our cell phone? But Why are we seeing doctors using this technology in hospitals?
2: Now, well, speech really is a, a general purpose technology that has many applications. And, you know, the goals are one and the same as far as how can speech make us as, as humans, both inside the workplace as well as outside, more productive. So when you think about what a, a physician does or a clinician does when they're seeing a patient and various information that you need to capture about the patient and various symptoms that need to be logged, that's a phenomenal opportunity to make uh, a physician far more productive and, and far more efficient in how they're, they're seeing patients. And then all that information is automatically digitized and can flow into various workflow systems so that hospitals have a, a more uh, efficient way to track all that information and have it pass from one person to the next. So speech is really a, a front end in this particular example that makes a physician far more efficient at their job.
0: Is the software used in the medical field different than that used for consumers where there's a much lower requirement for accuracy?
2: Yeah, we, we have core technology, uh, core speech recognition and, and core natural language understanding at the lowest levels that is shared across many different applications. But within any application, a healthcare application or an enterprise application or a consumer application, there's then a tremendous amount of domain-specific modeling uh, that we do such that for the specific tasks uh, within a particular uh, application of the technology, we can drive accuracy up because the specific models that have been built, running on top of that core platform, are trained and optimized and continue to be refined in the context of that particular application.
0: So I guess you also take into account that my doctor's speech is usually much easier to recognize than his handwriting.
2: In in that case, (laughs) speech is far, far ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Here now is Leslie Ann in Washington, D.C. Leslie Ann, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Yeah, hi. um I've been using Siri since its first iteration. And what I find is there are some things that it just never, ever gets. And they're not difficult. It's things like general sprinkler. And so one time, I was, and I use, unfortunately, when I'm driving most of the time. General, I spink,
0: use, general sprinkler?
4: Yeah, it, it just, just doesn't get it. And it never has. So in what context?
0: Day, in what context do you use the phrase general sprinkler?
4: Um, I'm calling someone, and I'll say, call General Sprinkler.
0: Oh, that's somebody's name. I thought you were talking about a sprinkler yeah. system. Go ahead, please. Yeah. So
4: anyway, so I, you know, out of frustration one day, I just yelled at Siri, you know, you need to get your ears cleaned out. And Siri responded, I respect you.
0: <laughs> that's how Siri usually responds when someone hurls um either profanities or, or or insults at Siri, but go ahead, please, Judith.
1: Yeah. Good question. One of the most difficult areas for all speech recognition systems is proper names, and that's because they're not predictable. So, I regret to inform you is predictable. Is there traffic between here and work is predictable. Where is the best restaurant, Thai restaurant near me is predictable. But proper names are not predictable. So some of them are, like uh, Wells Fargo is predictable. We pretty much know if you get Wells, you're going to get Fargo. There's nothing else really that follows Wells very frequently. But uh, proper names of all sorts are very, very hot, hard. I don't even know what happens when you try Kojo Nomdi. Maybe somebody out there can try it. Oh,
0: we've tried it over and oh, over. you be it? amazed at the responses that you get. There you go, because those
1: are proper names. And in fact, in some of the field experiences when I was working in government applications of, of uh, speech recognition systems, what people tend to use them for, particularly in dangerous situations uh, for, for um, you know, like at the, in, in the earthquake in Haiti, for example, the first thing people ask is, what is your name? And the names are not recognized very, very easily. So you're really pointing to a fundamentally difficult problem. I will say that that's one of the reasons, going back to the medical applications area, that some of the medical applications, even though there's technical terminology, it's predictable. So that's why that works well.
0: When you say my name a lot of th- a lot of times, speech recognition thinks you're looking for a city in Normandy. But that's oh, not the That story. sounds
1: nice. <laughs> Here
0: is Carl in Silver Spring, Maryland. Carl, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes.
5: Um, I'm a blind person, and I work in assistive technology. Um, I used to be a Dragon Dictate um, and a Dragon Naturally Speaker uh, trainer. And if you use a good headset with uh, positioning and noise canceling microphone, I was able, with the fifth version of Dragon Naturally Speaking, able to get 99% accuracy um, in a quiet environment. Uh, and uh, that is uh, a system that, that works on only using uh, the word before, the word that you're actually trying to recognize, as well as the recognition algorithms for that particular word, um, to to do the recognition accuracy. So a lot of the problems have to do with what is the signal-to-noise ratio uh... what is the intelligibility uh, based on what kind of noise you're being interfered with and also uh, what is your recognition vocabulary um, in the medical profession there are available for purchase over sixteen different specialty vocabularies there's also a prescription drugs vocabulary that can be bought um, so that you can really increase uh, the accuracy of uh, doctors to to recognize um, a lot more accurately. Uh, What I wanted to suggest is what is Nuance done with the IBM uh, recognition system that used both the word before and the word after the word that is being recognized to figure out the context, and then predict more accurately the word, because that, by far, is much more accurate than just using the word before. What does nuance have to say
2: about that?
0: Um, first you, Ken Harper.
2: Yeah, well, there, there are a couple of, of good points there, but just to address your, your last question. So what you're talking about really is, is language modeling and what we call engrams. And when we create a model for language, For speech recognition purposes, you're very much right that the word that comes before and the word that comes after something that's getting recognized is taken into consideration when we're trying to compute a a final probability for a sentence that's recognized. So that's exactly how the technology works, and that's one of the reasons why we've been able to uh, get such a high level of accuracy is is through language modeling uh, and the use of sentence patterns and, and engrams is the technical term. Uh, of looking at combination of words that tend to get used together uh, in a sentence or a specific domain. Uh, and language modeling is exactly how those engrams get get modeled within uh, the language uh, training techniques that we use. So that's very much on point how we've been able to drive up accuracy uh, over the years. The The other thing that I just wanted to say quickly, because it was a very, very good point, you can have the best speech recognizer in the world. You could have the best natural language understanding technology in the world. But if you don't have a way to capture the audio and suppress some of the the noise in your environment and really try to accentuate the signal coming from the speaker, uh, a speaker in a room or a speaker talking to a device, then your speech recognizer is going to continue to, to struggle a little bit. So a big part of how we make this technology work really well is audio acquisition and canceling out noise in your surrounding and trying to send the cleanest energy coming from a user that's actually speaking to the speech recognizer, which then goes to the natural language understanding engine.
0: And thank you very much for your call. I should mention that Ken's company, Nuance Communications, produces Dragon Naturally Speaking, which is one of the most popular speech-to-text softwares. On the market, but Carl, thank you very much for your call. You too can call us at 800-433-8850 if you have questions or comments on speech recognition technology. Jerome, IBM allows developers to create apps using IBM Watson's speech to text abilities. How important is crowdsourcing to the future of how we use speech technologies?
3: Well, as you mentioned, we have actually now a set of services uh, in the cloud that any developers, or researcher, or students. Or companies can use, you know, to compose apps. Uh, one of these services is speech-to-text, and the critical piece of the service is that we're going to learn from usage. So when you use some of these services around language, around speech, even around vision, the usage pattern that you get from people, you know, when as they use it to tell you what they are trying to do with it. it, is really really important. I wouldn't call it necessarily crowdsourcing. There are specifically crowdsourcing techniques that we also use when we need to annotate data or get some specific input. But there's really just an implicit crowdsourcing that happens as people use it. by the system becomes smarter as more people use it because it learns more ways of saying things or understanding things.
0: Watson is best known, perhaps, to the public for its 2011 exhibition matches on Jeopardy, defeating two of the game show's greatest champions. In those games, however, the computers were fed the text of the question. Do you think Watson could do as well listening to Alex Trebek's voice?
3: I mean, I, I think at this point, uh, we could do it in the same way. But, you know, the reason it was fed text is to limit the, the errors at that level. So if you remove one step where you can have some errors, which today will be around 8%, then, you know, you, you are that much more accurate. At the time the decision was made, that it was just simpler. You know, the goal was not to demonstrate speech-to-text. Actually, text-to-speech was demonstrated, but it was more to demonstrate the ability to answer questions. Uh, but it's, a system like this is possible, and my good feeling is that today we could do it and still win the games uh, with that recognition.
0: Here now is Kevin in Baltimore, Maryland. Kevin, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Um, hi. I just wanted to talk about the, uh, some of the newer technologies for users who of American Sign Language, um, and uh, one of them is a new glove that uh, people actually put on their and, and um, can actually move. It has not been, obviously it's not been mass-produced or anything like that, but it has been shown that you can do that via sensors to sense movement and shape of hand. However, the problem with that is, very much like you were talking about, is the, the, how to understand the emotion and all of the nuances of the language is impossible because it's all done on the face. So you have languages like that, which are complicated, and it's very difficult to understand that way. And we're not even talking about implicit goal of the language or any of those other things that languages involve.
0: So the use of the face is important in American Sign Language. Um, Ken Harper, how do you accommodate that?
2: Well, I think I'll, I'll answer the question just a little bit more generally, as far as where I think the industry is going to go. You know, speech, speech is one input, but to continue to improve accuracy and also try to better detect what a user's true intent is, the use of other sensor data is going to be a, a big area of, of research in the industry. So you can imagine scenarios where maybe someone is speaking, but you have a system that's simultaneously also recording the lip movement, or what we call visemes. And using that information in combination with the speech input to determine what the user actually wants to do and maybe in that scenario determine what the user's true emotional state is to perform a, a smarter action or do something a little bit differently based on additional sensor data that's being collected from myriad devices that you might be interacting with. So this, this notion of having lots of, of various sensors and combining that sensor data into an output that better predicts what you think someone is looking to do, I think that's going to be a big area of research for the industry over the coming years.
0: Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this Tech Tuesday conversation on speech recognition technology, but you can still call us at 800-433-8850. Do you see yourself using more voice command technology in the future? You can send email to kojo at wamu.org, send us a tweet at Kojo Show, or go to our website, kojoshow.org, join the conversation there. I'm Kojo Nandi. It's Tech Tuesday. We're talking speech recognition technology with Ken Harper, Senior Director of Devices for Nuance Communications, which is a speech recognition software company. Jerome Pacenti is the Vice President of Core Technologies at the IBM Watson Group. And Judith Clevins is recently retired from the Federal Office of the Director of National Intelligence. She's a researcher in speech and language technology. Judith, Ken, the advances in voice control technology have apparently been great for seniors and for the disabled. How have we seen speech recognition improve accessibility? First, year, Judith.
1: One of the one of the core questions to ask is how does voice recognition, speech recognition, work for the aging voice? Your vocal tract changes, and here's the good news: it works. So there appears to be no changes between uh, the accuracy of recognition from children to middle aged people into aging, because we can. You know, an aging an aging voice sounds different. Uh-huh. We know that we humans know that. Um, and how does how does our how do our technologies uh, adapt? And they're perfectly fine. So that's the good news. The other piece of good news is that mo- as more and more applications are being developed, particularly through open platform opportunities more and more uh, applications for seniors are being developed. So it's really increasing our ability to become to continue to be mobile and functional as we age and perhaps lose some of our physical capabilities, but the mind is still just fine.
0: On the issue of accessibility, Ken Harper, allow me to go first to um, Doris in Arlington, Virginia. Doris, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes,
6: thank you. Um, I work for um, a Center for Independent Living, a community resource center for people with disabilities, Independent Center of in Northern Virginia, and um, there are several in the area. And um, we help people with disabilities um, acquire assistive technologies, including speech recognition and other um, advanced technologies, um, but the, one of the biggest problems is um, funding so that People can get the technology that's out there that's so wonderful that makes uh, le- that that enables people to live independently and get jobs and be taxpayers. So, I'm wondering um, what the industry is doing and what the government is doing to help us get the funding that we needed need to get these
0: technologies? I am not sure we can answer that because I know we have no one from the government here, but I'll try first Judith Clavins and then Ken Harper.
1: Well, I do know that there are more and more programs, and many of them funded through industry, that the government is working on to help test these technologies so that they can be inserted. Um, The real issue is determining which are the best technologies to put into which situations for the biggest bang for the buck. This is an area I'm very interested in myself um, as part of helping our aging uh, population obtain the best access to communication technologies and to functioning be full-functioning citizens despite the aging process. So um, I think we'll turn it to our industry people who will be aware of how they're funding and looking at different programs there. Ken Harper? Yeah, I think,
2: again, I'll I'll ask it, answer the question a little bit more uh, generically. I, I think a big part of this will come down to having more open platforms and making the general technology more accessible to a broader set of developers and service providers that can take this technology and and work on accessibility applications uh, that serve this particular need out there that clearly this is a need that will be a a big focus uh, for the industry in, in the future. So as far as specific funding, that's not really my area of expertise, but I will say is there are changes in the industry about making it a lot more affordable for a broader set of customers that that a lot of providers of speech and natural language sell into such that the cost of entry is, is getting much lower uh, because the technology has advanced to a point uh, where we can, can now support it uh, at a very different price point from where maybe we were several years ago. So in, in general, a lot more people are going to get access to this technology and as such we do expect there to be this trend where more accessibility applications uh, can be brought to market as a result.
0: Jerome, earlier this month, California passed a law banning manufacturers of smart TVs from using voices it captures for advertising purposes. Are people worried about the privacy concerns about having a microphone in most of our devices?
3: I mean, absolutely. I mean, there is a privacy concern, right? Because every time you have a microphone in your house, uh, potentially that sound, right, is uh, saved and directed to the cloud, right, and kept Uh, and use for a matter you don't know. So what we're trying to advocate, right, is to get some uh, basically understanding of what you can do and kind of do with this and save it in a privacy-conscious way, right? It's important for this device and this system to uh, have access to that voice, to understand it, to learn from it, but you want to restrict access to it, right? You don't want any of your developers to go out there and and be able to listen to anybody. So there's a very interesting debate around this. It's useful to get the voice from everybody to learn from it, but obviously you want to do that in a very, very um, uh, conscious way, you know, uh, allowing people just to learn from it, but not you know, uh, listen to it if you want.
0: Can companies and governments are beginning to use audio technology to beef up security. What is voice biometrics and how does it work?
2: Yeah, voice, the voice biometrics is a, a technology... Uh, that you can use to identify a particular user as being someone that is fully certified to access uh, some banking service or in the case of mobile phone, maybe you want to issue a payment. So instead of having to use uh, physical biometrics like a a fingerprint uh, or facial recognition, voice is another option to the industry right now Uh, that can really provide a lot of convenience and also add some extra security. Uh, So if someone is uh, looking to issue a payment or get access to some confidential account, Biometrics is a technology that can verify, yes, you are who you say you are, and we're going to allow access into something that's highly confidential. Or, no, we think you are an imposter and we're not going to let you
0: in. So voice impressionists cannot get past this? Yeah,
2: there's a lot of research right now around liveness detection, uh, looking at ways to figure out if someone really is speaking and making sure that someone hasn't gotten a recording of your your voice. Uh, So this also is a burgeoning area of research uh, for nuance in the broader industry, looking at ways to make it near impossible for an imposter to come in and simulate what your voice sounds like.
0: Judith, on the other side of the coin from speech recognition is speech synthesis, which is the ability of the computers to speak for themselves. How does the challenge of speech synthesis compare to that of recognition?
1: Speech synthesis, sometimes people get them confused, so thank you for the distinction. Speech synthesis is taking text and making uh, audio from that text. That's a problem that's been very well solved for maybe 30 years. It hasn't been perfect, as we know. So uh, if you think of Hal saying, or early talking clocks, they would say, it is 8 o'clock a.m. <laughs> it does yeah. not sound very natural, but the solutions in more fluid and speech have really been extraordinary. I, I really think that text-to-speech is a is a is pretty much a solved problem.
0: Here now is Bob in Silver Spring, Maryland. Bob, your turn.
5: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, and I'm, I, the uh, person who answered my call helped me phrase the question a little bit. In the broadest sense, I'm wondering if there aren't ways that uh, with speech recognition we can't train the speaker so the speaker's better understood. I mean, with, with all kinds of modern technology, computers and texting and everything, with emoticons and with spell check, you get a list of words, and people get trained how to use modern technology – so for one of some of the examples you had with proper names, if people learn to say, I want to talk to the man named Kojo Nandi, that might get you further. Or if with the fish tank and the military tank, something came up with options of what kind of tank do you mean to clarify it, we could maybe train speakers to interact better with the speak recognition software.
0: And I'll take my answer off, uh, or comments off the air. Thanks. Is that similar, Judith, to the challenge of getting us to use the metric system more frequently?
1: <laughs> uh, it's actually harder. Uh, <laughs> so much experimentation has been done. The, the caller is exact right on the mark. If we could only train us as people <laughs> to use technology differently, well, the technology would work be- better. And there's no question about that. Um, two points come to mind. Uh, research has shown that people have no patience in training. So the patience with errors is greater than the patience with training. So you're better off saying, oh, for goodness sakes, you're so stupid, you don't know that I'm asking for X, Y, Z, you dumb Siri, or dumb Cortana, or whatever your name is, I don't know, Then you will have to train the system before you use it. Or what kind of what kind of bank are you looking for? The bank of a river or the bank for money? The the, the caller is absolutely right. That would make things work ba- better. But we humans don't always go the way. Some humans don't go the way others would like. And here finally
0: is John in Alexandria, Virginia. John, you only have about thirty seconds, but go ahead, please.
5: I think my question is real similar when the lady's trying to call general sprinkler can't you know you give up all your permissions can't the computer say gee I think she's trying to call general
0: sprinkler because she said call general sprinkler just go into her address book and call general sprinkler seems pretty easy to me well you know Ken Harper for decades science fiction has painted a picture of perfect speech recognition we don't see Captain Kirk repeating words to get them better understood will we ever get to a point where our devices our phones will not only be able to one to get 100. They won't only be able to understand us 100% perfectly, but give us back the response we want to get.
2: I think the industry will continue to move in a direction of of getting to a point where for specific tasks that you're looking to complete, the accuracy is, is very comparable to what you would get if you were speaking to another human. And I think this, this point was made earlier, but human-to-human conversation right now and the ability to understand and interpret what someone is saying to you is, is not 100%. There are times when errors are going to be made, and I think speech technology and natural language understanding will follow the same, the same track. We're Where- just
0: about out of time. Ken Harper, Jerome Pasanti, Judith Cravens, thank you all for joining us, and thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi.
1: W-A-M-U 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.